This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the October 9th episode, and as always, we are dedicated to answering your fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at RandallRant. Today, we welcome in one of the high-profile analysts in the industry, one of my favorites and everyone's favorite, Peter Overzet. You can find him at Roto Grinders, the Swellcast, the Tilt Space, any other place you find great content, insightful, hilarious, just one of the funniest and most entertaining people in the business, has the history and lifelong tenure here at Rotoviz. He's an OG, former writer, used to have the very popular high stakes diaries. Not a great, but a premier follow on Twitter at Peter Overzet. He is the showdown thought leader, folks, going to get us ready for week five. My friend Peter Overzet, how are you doing? How's Pete Manzanelli doing? And welcome back to the mailbag. Thanks, man. Quite the intro there. I'm a big fan of the mailbag. I even remember the old days. I think it was uh, Eric McClung would always say Fridays are for the mailbag. And yep. uh, yes, great show. Always happy to be on and talk with my Rotoviz brethren. Well, man, listen, you have some amazing content, some of the best out on Twitter, and the Tilt Space is a great show. I look forward to it. You do the hits and misses, and I love the full disclosure. In a politically correct world, man, we need more of this, such as your tweet last week that said, you can't spell Troutman without fish. Talk about how that's going and how that came about. Yeah, the Tilt Space is a a cool show I'm doing with Michael Leone and Joe Holka over on the Line Movement YouTube channel. They're a new uh, startup this year and uh, really enjoying that. Yeah, the the premise of the show is just we're playing in some high stakes contests. We're in the super contest for sports betting. And then we've been doing entries into these higher stakes single entry DFS contests. And then we hop on with about an hour left in the games on Sunday's main slate. And if we're running good, like we have been, we get a sweat trying to win some money. If we're running bad, like we were in weeks one and two, we kind of talk about where things went wrong. And yeah, it's just a place to be, you know, experience all the different emotions that you go through while playing DFS, the highs and the lows, and also trying to get smarter and make better decisions. So working with Joe and Leone, who are both really incredibly sharp, 
it's been really fun to kind of work on those lineups, then see them through and then bring everybody else in with us there at the end to see how it all shook out. And listen, man, you're a humble guy and all those guys are, are great guys. You downplayed and talk about, you know, the steam and the frustration. But like you said, you've had some big hits this year so far. It's been a good year. Yeah, honestly, I mean, I'm I'm very transparent with uh, how I did. I last year at Roto Grinders, I had my bankroll challenge where I just, uh, for lack of a better word, ate shit week after week. I wasn't good at DFS, and I, I legitimately worked on it a lot this off season. I do a show with Brian Hooper, Brick seventy five. He's one of the best DFS players in the world. I've learned so much from him. Like I said, talking with guys like Leone, uh, I've learned a lot from them, and. And yeah, we've gotten off to a really good start. I've had some individual wins. I finished third in the spy, uh, the, yeah. the smaller spy for ten thousand. I've had a couple single uh, or showdown contests where I finished in the top one or two. And then yeah, with the tilt space last week, we finished first in the fifteen hundred dollar single entry contest called the Game Changer for fifty thousand that we uh, that we yeah. each have a, a piece of collectively. So yeah, man, on a bit of a heater. Peter Overzet on fire, folks. So let's get right into it. I want to start here with the seasonal waiver wire pickups this week. Get your thoughts on some of the plays moving forward. Damian Harris now going to be the running back in New England. Sony Michelle in injured reserve. It's looked like his, his turn to shine here, but not a ton in the passing game. So where are you on Harris this week and, and maybe until Michelle comes back there? What do you think about his value both in seasonal and then talk about DFS as well? Yeah, he's kind of a hard DFS play in that he's not going to catch a lot of passes and he's going to get squeezed on early down and goal line touches from both Cam when he comes back as well as Rex Burkhead, who's been really effective on the goal line. So he's he's tough. You know, he is kind of sliding right into that Sony Michelle role. And I think that has value. Obviously, you prefer it more in like a standard scoring league. And then for DFS, you would prefer it when he's at sub 5% ownership. We just don't want to play these guys. Uh, that don't catch passes when they're going to be popular. So Damian Harris was a guy that there for a while we were kind of drafting in the 12th and 13th round of FFPC leagues there when it became clear that he might have a chance at that starting gig. And I think I think he can definitely pay off that draft cost. You can spot start him. I don't think he's going to be a league winner, but I think he's I think he's interesting. And a guy who would be interesting now in PPR, I mean, we're waiting here, Peter, for Kenyon Drake to get going. And he didn't get going last week against Carolina, which could be a red flag. So Chase Edmonds, someone we very high here at Rotoviz, zero RB for us here. So we're looking at those late round running backs. Chase Edmonds was a guy we really liked here. What do you think about him now? Is he going to get a larger share there, the backfield in Arizona? Yeah, I mean, he has more high value touches on the season than Kenyon Drake. I mean, Kenyon Drake is basically what I was just describing with Damian Harris, where he's a guy that is going to see decent volume, but he, one, hasn't been effective around the goal line, which is really killing him. But then on top of that, he's losing these high-value touches, the the green zone touches and the pass-catching work to Edmonds. And that's a huge concern for him right now. I don't think he's going to get benched or fully replaced, but he is just uh, not an asset that you can fully trust right now, whereas Chase Edmonds is checking a lot of those boxes. He doesn't quite have like the smash standalone value for you right now where you can plug him in, but he is, I think, one of the best possible handcuffs that you need to be having on your bench. And, you know, I know the Rotoviz guys have also been on Eno Benjamin, who I still think is also a stash. You know, if something yep. happened to either of these guys, I think Eno Benjamin would become very relevant. 
had TJ Hernandez on last week, said a lot of the things you've said about these plotters. I'm curious out here with the Chargers. Austin Eckler going to be out for a while. We have Joshua Kelly. He's gotten a little bit of work in the passing game. Now Justin Jackson's going to be a part of this. So where are you at with this backfield moving forward? Because, you know, there are going to be opportunities here with this backfield with Eckler out. Yeah, I was talking about this last night with Pat Corain. We do our show called Ship Chasing, and we specifically are looking at our FFPC waivers. And we had a long discussion about it, and basically him versus Dearness Johnson. And I was Mm -hmm. more interested in Jackson just because I do think this is going to be a pretty even split backfield. And I guess what I mean by even split is we know there's only going to be two guys involved. Someone might end up on a 60-40, 70-30 side, but they're not going to be getting squeezed by other or third members in this backfield. Like when you talk about the Browns, Dontrell Hilliard is going to be a thing there. Obviously, Kareem Hunt is going to lead it. So Dearness Johnson feels more fragile, whereas I feel pretty confident that just Josh Kelly and Justin Jackson are going to split this. And those backfields are very attractive for fantasy. You know, Zach Moss, who hasn't been healthy, him and Devin Singletary, that's a similar backfield. Tonight, with the Bucks, I don't know when this is going out. We're recording on Thursday, but Rojo and Keyshawn Vaughn are going to yep. have that backfield to themselves, and both of them can be relevant. So I am interested in Justin Jackson. I do think Joshua Kelly is still the guy you want there. The coaches basically already kind of told us how they felt about Joshua Kelly versus Justin Jackson, promoting Joshua Kelly to that secondary role with Eckler. So he's going to get first crack at it. He has had two fumbles, though, the past two weeks. So the door is there. Anthony Lynn is a stubborn coach who does like him, some veterans. So I think Justin Jackson was worth the aggressive bids this week. And um, now we just got to see how this backfield shakes out from like a 60-40, 50-50 perspective. You made a great point there about Dearness Johnson. I mean, I think that was like the sexy, fancy play because he did have the 90 yards rushing against the Cowboys. But Dontrell Hilliard is still there. Kareem Hunt is obviously going to be the lead guy. I feel like Johnson was a pass on the waiver wire. I understand people were grabbing him and they're looking forward. I had some offers. People were offering me, they got Dearness Johnson. Do you want to trade for DJ Chark? I mean, I, I, I think he is a guy who would not even shock me if he ranks third in touches in the backfield this week, right? No, it it wouldn't surprise me. And that was like the best possible game script for them in a shootout against Dallas, who has been giving up points in every which way. So I see the appeal. I understand why you want to take a stab at Dearness Johnson, but I just have a hard time getting excited about those two down plotters that are in a three-way committee. Let's try something new here. I want to do crystal ball with Pete here. Fantasy playoffs week 14. I want to name some players. I'm going to tell you what their fantasy playoff schedule would be week 14 to 16. Have you go in your crystal ball and tell us here who you like better. We're going to talk with the Panthers. Week 14, they have Denver. Week 15 at Green Bay. Week 16 at Washington. Pretty nice schedule there. I'm just curious with the Panthers. Who's going to be the best Carolina wide receiver? DJ Moore or Robbie Anderson? Yeah, this one is really interesting. You know, Robbie out-targeted DJ Moore 11-6 to last week. Robbie's also being used uh, shallower, um, or I can't even talk, with a shallow depth of target more than we were used to in New York. And so I think we're kind of having to rethink this this offense and, and how it funnels through these two guys. That said, I think it is very concentrated between them. They've kind of separated themselves from Curtis Samuel, and Ian Thomas isn't relevant And of course, Mike Davis is getting a lot of work out of the backfield too. But I think both of these guys are still going to be very relevant. 
I still give the tie though, or break the tie in favor of DJ Moore. He's top 10 in the Whopper metrics for the weighted opportunity rating. He just hasn't had it all come together yet in the box score. I think they're going to be a 1A, 1B situation. And I know the public might be swinging toward Robbie. I still think DJ Moore is the 1A there. But man, if this continues for another week or two, I will have to rethink it. But my crystal ball says DJ Moore is still the guy you want here in a vacuum. I'm working on my stacks article this week, and I'm definitely going to have Bridgewater, Moore, and Anderson. You named it, the consolidated target share. And listen, we all like Ian Thomas, has not been a high-volume guy. So I think both of them could pop. And the DJ Moore game is coming, right? I mean, it, it absolutely could be this week against Atlanta. For sure. Yeah. Uh, let's look at Pittsburgh. Week 14, they go to Buffalo. Week 14, they're at Cincinnati. Week 16, they host Indianapolis. This is a big one, too. Juju Smith-Schuster, who looks to have a revival, and I have not forgiven him for last year. I, obviously, Ben wasn't there, but really looks to be doing going strong. And Deontay Johnson, who was on fire until the concussion, but he's now back. So crystal ball, fantasy playoffs. Are people going to want Smith-Schuster or Deontay Johnson? This one is so hard for me, too. It just, like, so people understand from a DFS perspective, like Robbie and DJ are priced within $100 of each other this week on DraftKings. Juju Smith-Schuster is still $1,100 more than Deontay Johnson. Granted, part of that's probably with Deontay coming off of the concussion. But there's still kind of a disparity in these, and that gap should be so much closer. I Deontay Johnson just gives me those kind of like Stefan Diggs, and I know this is hyperbolic, but the Antonio Brown with his footwork and route running, if I'm allowed to put on my film grinder hat here, he just looked <laughs> really, really good. And I do think Deontay Johnson is ultimately going to emerge as the alpha down the stretch here within weeks 14 through 16. But I don't think that has to mean it comes at the expense of the other. I just think he will be the 1A to Juju's 1B. I think both of them can be top 24 wide receivers for fantasy. But yeah, if you had to tell me in a vacuum who I wanted, I could only pick one. I'm going to take Deontay Johnson. And again, that assumes full health for both. That's very fair, and I feel like people have forgotten about him a little bit. Recency bias here because of the concussion. He's going to get slay this week. That could be tough, but absolutely, I could see that happening. He's been explosive and ha has had so many more targets than Juju. Last one here. I have to find a way. This is total selfishness here, Pete. I want to know Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. Here's the Rams schedule going home. Week 14, home versus the Pats. Week 15, home versus the Jets. Jeez. Week 16 at Seattle, also a tremendous matchup. So is it Cup or Woods? Who's going to shine there end of the year? Yeah, I've always leaned Cup over Woods, and I understand uh, that Woods is, is very good. He's very efficient with his targets. But even I think we've seen kind of a trend emerge these past few weeks with Cooper Cup out-targeting Robert Woods. And he also just seems to have more of uh, red zone equity with his workload, where Robert Woods we've seen previously run really poorly as far as it, it goes with touchdowns. So I think these guys are, again, a 1A, 1B, but I feel more confident than the others, I would say, that Cooper Cup is the 1A. All right. I want to let you talk here, Dr. Overzek, because you have to play doctor with LaVisca Chenault. And by the way, this could be in an Irish brogue. I heard you have a tremendous Irish accent. Oh, no. That's what that thought of me. That again. <laughs> Uh, LaVisca looks like a, he's going to be okay down in Jacksonville. Uh, his routes run have increased every single week. And listen, we are all aboard the Chenault train here at Rotoviz. Start of the season, he went from 18 routes up to 34 last week. How's he looking? Is he going to be healthy? And of course, talk here about your love for LaVisca Chenault. 
Yeah, LaVisca is such a fun one. He was so undervalued in rookie drafts. Uh, he was, you know, slipping, you know, to the mid to late second. Both him and Brandon Ayuk, for some reason, were just getting lost in the shuffle with some of these running backs getting pushed up. And yeah, it's been really fun to see him on the field whenever he touches the ball. It granted, I'm incredibly biased because he's one of my favorite players, but it's he's just electric with the ball in his hands. He's bullying defenders, knocking guys over, getting yards after the catch, making big plays down the field. The only concern is, is that they're not giving him enough touches. You know, we saw the Thursday night football Chris Conley experience that was so yeah. tilting watching an uh. inferior talent not capitalize on that opportunity. So the only thing in Chenault's way right now is it sounds like this hamstring and his volume, I think it's good for him that DJ Chark returned to kind of the alpha role there. I think Gardner Minshew can definitely support both of these guys. Didi Westbrook has been inactive a lot of weeks, which shows a vote of confidence in LaVisca playing out of the slot. So I think we just also have to be patient. I mean, AJ Brown emerged last year, but it took a full season for him to really start to command the targets that then highlighted his ceiling. And so I think we just need to be patient with LaVisca. The fact that he's already getting manufactured touches this early into his career, I think is very encouraging. And I think he's going to have a a very big finish. Listen, you're a high energy guy. I want to know, what do you eat in the morning gets you going on breakfast? Breakfast has been like the question here, Pete, every week. For some reason, it's just become like that, like that question du jour. What do you eat in the morning gets you going? So I guess, I don't know, this is either going to be an interesting answer or not a fun answer. I don't eat breakfast. I, uh, I've been doing intermittent fasting for probably three years now. And so wow. I eat my first meal of the day uh, around 2 p.m. Uh, I do a late lunch and uh, a dinner, and then that's it. Kind of eat within a four to five hour window each day. So in the mornings, I'm just coffee, uh, black coffee, and, and that's all I need to get going. Man, this is all natural. The, uh, unbelievable. The, the energy. It's like ty- the Tyree Kill here of fantasy football. You could just wind him up and let him go. There you go. Let's just keep uh, – uh, can we get a different association for me other than Tyree Kill? <laughs> yeah, I come up, I'll come up. How about – well, Tariq Cohen's injured. So I got to find, find some. We'll just say the Energizer Bunny. The all fantasy right. football Energizer Bunny. There we go. That's better. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy, open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your local favorite restaurants are still open for delivery as well. Just open that DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners at Rotobiz can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on that first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off that first order with DoorDash. Hello, folks. Colin Kelly here from Rotoviz Overtime, a podcast I host along with Sean Siegel. And in just a little moment, we'll jump straight into the podcast. Before we do so, I want to let you know as a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% of a Rotoviz NFL pass right now on the rotoviz.com website. It gives you access to all of our content and tools. All you have to do is add the code 2020RVRadio at checkout or by going to rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information. 
And of course, while you're listening to the podcast on the network, helps us out a lot if you can rate and review on your favorite podcast app. I really do appreciate that. As I mentioned at the start, Road of His Overtime with Sean Siegel twice a week. If you haven't already checked it out, be sure to do so after this show. But let's get straight into it. Enjoy the podcast. Buy or sell now, Pete. Name a couple players who have been, you know, uncertain, haven't done really well so far. I'm curious. Are you saying forget it or are you buying on the low here? Let's start with Zach Ertz. Listen, I said last year that Goddard was going to be better than Zach Ertz. He was going to have more targets and sort of pass him. It did not happen. This year, to start the year, it certainly did. Now Goddard is out. Ertz should be fine. They can't find a wide receiver to to play for them there, but he is still struggling. Zach Ertz, what do you think? Yeah, I am terrified of Zach Ertz. Uh, Davis Maddock, Pat Coran, and I have this incredible football guys uh, team in the Fantasy uh, Football Players Championship contest, and it is anchored by Zach Ertz at tight end, or should I say not anchored. He's our one uh, you know, bad link in this team, and I'm really worried about him. He is starting to give me these A.J. Green, T.Y. Hilton, yeah. Todd Gurley, older guys who are dusted vibes because the whole thing that Zach Ertz always did was he survived on volume, and everyone is injured in that offense. There's no Goddard. Like you mentioned, There's they're down to John Hightower and Greg Ward at wide receiver. It's like, how is he not getting the volume? I think he had, what did he have, less than 10 yards receiving last Terrible. week? Yep. I'm, I'm, Terrible, yep. I'm very worried, and I would sell if I was able to get, I don't know, 75 cents on the dollar. Next one is personal. I thought Brandon Cooks was going to smash last week in DFS. He had the volume, he had the targets, and he ran a ton of routes last week. And he's on the field all the time. Maybe Bill O'Brien being gone unleashes Brandon Cooks, but Will Fuller, of course, had the hamstring question. He almost had two touchdowns. Last one, he was ruled out of the end zone, so he almost had a big week. Can't figure him out, but where are you on Brandon Cooks in this offense now with the coaching change? Yeah, I mean, I still think Brandon Cooks is is a good talent. You know, he's a former first round pick. He's oops, sorry. I had a I was pulling up his game log there, and I had Field Yates autoplay on ESPN start playing, and I was confused. <laughs> um, I still think Brandon Cooks is a talented guy, but I think what we're seeing now in this offense is, despite the one dud week from Fuller, he is that alpha there. You know, he's had more than 15 PPR points in three of his four games, and they're using him similarly to how they were kind of using DeAndre Hopkins. And we're seeing, though, Cobb, Stills, and Cooks kind of alternating here as who else is getting the targets in this offense. And they're similar players, similar size, similar profiles. And I just don't think these guys are going to be all bankable week in and week out. And I think he's just more in a bit of a a rotating share with those guys and hasn't really emerged as the number two, like we thought. And, and that's also partly because Kenny Stills and Randall Cobb are just good players. They've been good throughout their careers. They've earned targets. And I just don't think at this point in his career, Brandon Cooks is good enough to separate from them. And so, yeah, if someone is still buying Cooks as, I don't know where he, he was going in like the eighth or ninth round in drafts. If someone still values him at that level, I'd be interested in moving off of him. You know, we're looking for that Miles Sanders-esque second half running back that can pop. Uh, J.J. Zacharyson came on earlier and, of course, talked about how he feels that those late round running backs that can have big explosive second halves often come from ambiguous backfields. The one I want to talk about now is DeAndre Swift. He did get in the end zone. He looked better last week after being down. Of course, he dropped a touchdown pass and that would have won the game in the first week. But Swift kind of has that vibe to me. Lions going to have negative game script. Could be a nice play here second half of the year. What do you think about DeAndre Swift? 
Yeah, I heard Hassan and Blair talking about him earlier this week on the road of his repo. And their kind of theory was, you know, is DeAndre Swift, is this actually okay that he's losing so much early down work to Adrian Peterson? You know, he's being out carried, you know, two to one basically each week. But you're also preserving him and he's getting high value touches in that he's getting, you know, four to five targets a game. We obviously had the back breaking drop in the end zone that one week, but then he scored on another red zone catch uh, against New Orleans. So the fact that they're using him as a receiver in the in the red zone is very encouraging. And I do think we, we toss around that name, Miles Sanders, but I do think that's kind of what trajectory he's setting up for, where he has a high floor now and the ceiling could continue to increase throughout the season as they ramp up his workload. Uh, they're on bye this week, obviously, but I think, yeah, hopefully they come out of the bye and start featuring him just a little bit more because even if he could get, you know, maybe a few more carries a game and in, in one or two more targets, I mean, that really starts to push him up into a different echelon of running back that would be very exciting for fantasy. One of the guys that I'm targeting all over the place, trying to acquire, picked him up of his own waivers, is Debo Samuel. I mean, Jimmy G is not there. Mullins looked terrible, got pulled the other day for Bethard. But Debo is back. Ayuk is still a rookie, still some sort of a gadget guy. We know Kittle had the monster game, but that's overshadowing. I think Debo is a nice pickup here moving forward. You think he can have a, you know, let's say wide receiver two impact for the rest of the year? Yeah, I uh, I have Debo on a ton of teams, partly because Sean Siegel was very steadfast and not yep. really adjusting him too much in his ranks based on that injury. And yeah, he missed the first couple weeks of the season, but he is back now. They uh, had him on a snap count against the Eagles, but he still had three receptions and uh, a rushing attempt. I think what's interesting here and has been my the thing that's tough is I love Ayuk too. And you see mm-hmm. Ayuk take that into round, hurdle a defender, get a touchdown. They're very similar players that are going to also be used similarly. And if George Kittle is commanding the level of targets that he is, you know, or that he did command versus the Eagles going forward, I think it's going to be hard for both Debo and Ayuk to be super consistent in tandem. However, I think these guys could ping pong back and forth from having really big games. And if you're able to start four or five, you know, receivers, depending on your format, I mean, Debo is like the perfect guy to have as your fourth or fifth last wide receiver in your lineup. Got a question here from Dennis in Indy. I think we have to calm Dennis down. Two weeks in a row that Jonathan Taylor has underwhelmed, especially in GPPs. He faced the Jets and the Bears, only 62 and 75 total yards respectively. What's even worse is that his snap share has only been in the mid 40% the past two weeks. Where are you guys on Taylor? Kind of was hoping for a low-end running back one rest of season, but I'm starting to doubt it. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's rough. He only had 18 of the 40 touches last week. Naheem Hines getting 12, Wilkins getting 10. He isn't who we thought he was going to be when Mac went down. And so that's a little bit of a bummer. That said, he still by far has the most upside in this offense. We know talented rookies can have their roles expand as we go forward. So I wouldn't be so sure that the Colts are going to just stubbornly be giving Wilkins this many touches for the entire season, but it really does look like Wilkins is just sliding into the Marlon Mack role, and this backfield looks very similar to how we thought it would at the start. It's just Wilkins is playing Mack. He is still, though, very interesting to me. If you could buy low on him, I mean, I'm looking at his ownership percentages for DFS this week. When you consider his ceiling relative to his ownership, he's going to be sub 10%. 
that's when we want to kind of buy these guys in Cleveland now has been playing uh, in a little faster pace. So this might be one of the few chances to buy low on Jonathan Taylor, because once he has that pop-off game again, hundred yards, two touchdowns, it doesn't matter if he slumps for a few weeks, his owners are not going to let you pry him away. So I think this is the week to get in offers for Jonathan Taylor and redraft. All right, I'm going to ask for a personal question here. I was hyping Jonathan Taylor over under total rushing yards this year, 720. How am I looking, Pete? What is it at right now? Uh, It's a good question. Let's see what he's got. So far at this point, Jonathan Taylor, through four games, has 250. Yeah, he's going to hit that over. I think he's going to hit it. Yeah, I agree. I asked TJ this last week. I want to get your opinion also. Where are you on the defenses don't matter debate? Josh Hermsmeyer started this a while ago. When you're making your lineups for DFS, you shying away from someone here. You know, we have Baltimore this week. Uh, did, were you shying away from Antonio Gibson last week in that situation? Or are you pretty much just throwing it out the window? So I don't throw it out the window, but I think the 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 mistake I used to make, and I think the mistake some people make with defenses don't mattering is they count it twice, right? Because if you have good projections, you know, uh, you, that's going to be reflected already in their projection. And we're also looking at other things like pace. We're looking at the Vegas over under all of those numbers are going to naturally reflect good defenses or teams that play slower. Uh, and that's going to be reflected in those numbers. So as long as you're using good projections and considering those things, you are already factoring that in. So don't double count it twice. Like don't look, if you're running like optimal lineups and you see Antonio Gibson popping a lot in there, you're not going to say, well, I'm not using him because he's going against a tough thing. It's like, no, the numbers are already telling you that that's factored in and he's still a good points per dollar play. So I guess that's my thing is, you can use it to break ties if you want. If you're hand building, you know, definitely uh, get in the guys you want, but just don't count things twice. All right. The big debate. I don't know where your wife is on, but uh, in mine, this is pretty clear cut. Toilet paper roll, Pete. Is it pull down or pull up? Uh, pull down. Pull down. <laughs> it's got to be pulled down. No way around it. Settle the big debates we have here. I'm going to give you two players, same team, same position. Looking at their upcoming game this week in week five, who do you like better? So two players who are pretty close, curious where they're going to be. Now, assuming this game gets played, Zach Moss, who should be you know, pretty much full systems go at this point, or Devin Singletary there at Tennessee. Yeah, I will just say I think there's about 0% chance this game Agreed. happens. Um, that yep. said, man, I was really high on Zach Moss throughout the offseason and that I just thought he was really cheap relative to his projected role. But he's been injured, and Devin Singletary has looked pretty good in relief. So, you know, rest of season, I still think Moss could end up, you know, being the 1A to Singletary's 1B, but definitely not here in the interim. I think this is Singletary's backfield for now. All right, New England, Edelman or Nikhil Harry? Don't know who's going to be quarterback there. I think this is better chance of playing than the Tennessee-Buffalo game. Harry was great last week. Could have been scheme with Kansas City, though. You going with the veteran Edelman or Nikhil Harry at home against Denver? Yeah, I mean, other than that one game at the Seahawks where Edelman had 11 targets and, and eight receptions and really went off, he's been 
very quiet just down here at six to seven targets, you know, two to three catches the past couple of games. I think that's concerning. Harry is so, you know, he was one of those guys at Rotoviz. We, of course, all liked him from a prospect profile standpoint. He was a guy I was buying low on in Dynasty, drafting late this season. So I'm worried I have a little bit of kind of bias towards Nikhil Harry and just wanting him to fully break out. But I, uh, I'm going to go with Nikhil Harry. I, I still think I prefer him. We saw him get in the, in the end zone last week and he looked, you know, he's just that bigger bodied guy. Um, I think people get down on him because he doesn't, you know, pop off the screen. He looks slow. He kind of has some Kelvin Benjamin like vibes to him. But when Cam comes back, I know Cam likes him. Hopefully he can continue to see his target share grow. And I'm just an ageist uh, guy myself when it comes to fantasy. So I'm always going to bet against the 34 year old uh, slot wide receiver. There are some guys you just have a block with. Mine was with Tyler Boyd. I love Tyler Boyd the last two years, but Burrow comes in, AJ Green's back. AJ Green's getting a ton of targets the first two weeks. I was very down on Boyd, but he's done very well the last two weeks. T. Higgins, of course, coming on strong as well. So I'm curious. They got a tough matchup with Baltimore here. But if you had to pick one, you're going with Boyd or Higgins? So for this week, I would go with Boyd just because I think he's going to have a higher floor. His targets are going to be more assured. You know, he doesn't, he has a shallower uh, depth of target versus T. Higgins, who's getting a lot of air yards and being used further down the field. We know the Ravens secondary has been really good. So I think T. Higgins is going to be a little bit more boom bust. But if I have to go rest a season, I mean, T Higgins is really exciting, especially yeah. if something um, happens with AJ Green. I don't know if he's even a potential trade uh, deadline uh, candidate, yeah. but T Higgins looks really good. His role continues to expand, but I, man, these guys are close. I like both of them a lot, but yeah, for this week, give me Tyler Boyd. I mean, how obvious would it be AJ Green to Green Bay? Right now, Peter. I mean, I, you know, it would solve both things, maybe give Green a little bit of a revival there with A-Rod. I mean, I, seriously, I, I think that's a trade that has to happen. Yeah, he w- he could step in and uh, give them what Alan Lazard was giving them. Again, I'm kind of in that camp of A.J. Green just being totally washed. But yeah, yeah he could probably use a change of scenery. And last one here. We know Cooper does well, especially at home and when he's a favorite. Gallup or C.D. Lamb? I, I've, I've missed on these guys. Lamb, of course, was it looked like he was banged up in the Seattle game. Gallup, uh, Gallup had the, the big explosion in the game against Seattle, who was in the Millie, winning Millie Maker lineup. But this week, Gallup, C.D. Lamb at home in, in a nice matchup with the Giants. Yeah, I'm going to go, you know, ultimately, like how I play this for DFS is I'm, I'm just looking at ownership and I'm going to play – if, if their prices are similar, I'm going to just play the one who is lower owned. You know, two weeks ago, it was Michael Gallup going off. This week, it was CeeDee Lamb. I do think CeeDee Lamb has a higher floor and is going to be more consistent just where he's being used in the more shorter intermediary routes where Michael Gallup is being used exclusively as a deep threat. So you're going to have yeah. more ups and downs with him. So, yeah, like I said, I don't have strong opinions about these guys, I guess, just from a pure talent standpoint. I do think CeeDee Lamb is just going to be a a very elite level wide receiver for years to come. But as far as like this week, I feel like their upside is similar. They're going to have a really great game against the Giants. And I don't know, I guess my gut says maybe the pendulum swings back to Michael Gallup this week. 
Got a question here from Terry in Seattle. Love the mailbag. Keep those guests coming. Seahawks are going to the Super Bowl. Russ for MVP. Very positive here for Terry. But the fantasy debate I need answered. DK or Lockett, rest of schedule. And one more, if Carson does go down, I mean, we all love Chris Carson, but if he goes down, who do you think is the running back that's going to step up? Rashad Penny, Travis Homer, DJ Dallas, or Hyde here moving. So Lockett versus DK, rest of schedule. And then, of course, who do you think is the guy to own there if Carson gets in trouble and gets injured? Yeah, it. you know, I feel I wish I could have answered this question before Lockett's dud because I still would have said DK. I feel like most people now, mm-hmm. if, if recency bias clouds it, would say DK Metcalf. But I, I do, I've just been so impressed with DK Metcalf. He's just the perfect stylistic fit with Russell Wilson in this offense right now. The, the ceiling is through the roof. And Lockett is obviously great as well, but I just, I like DK as a talent more. So I'm going to lean there. And again, part of my age bias creeping in. And then as far as Carson going down, this one's been weird. I will just say, and people care far more what Sean thinks than I do, but we're, we're co-managing a few teams and he's been pushing us to stash Rashad Penny. And uh, that's really Mm -hmm. interesting to me. Travis Homer, you know, he, he looked great in that playoff game last year. I think he can catch some balls. Um, but I just don't know if the ceiling's there. Whereas I think Rashad Penny could slide in and do like a one for one replacement of Carson. So to me, Penny, and I'll obviously side with Sean that he's the most interesting back if Carson were to go down. You know, one of those late night movies while I was doing an article, Pete, that came on was Roadhouse. <laughs> okay. And, and I saw Brad Wesley at the end and he ends up getting like shot and kicked and he's an old guy, but like four or five times before he dies. It just reminded me of Chris Carson. Like the guy, just, he just keeps coming and coming, but they're going to need a lead guy. I think Rashad Penny's an excellent answer. He's not on anyone's radar here. And if Carson doesn't get up for one of these tough hits or twists, he has to be. I don't think they're going to trust Travis Homer, uh, DJ Dallas or, or, or Hyde here moving forward. I just yeah. don't. No, I'm with you. I agree. And, uh, yeah, Rashad Penny, he could be one of those uh, guys. If you have deep benches, you add him now. You got to be a little patient, but he definitely in this offense could be a league winner. This is one of the most popular questions here. Thank a teacher time. With everything going on with COVID, want to throw some plaudits here, the ways of the teachers. So give a shout out to anyone. A teacher in your K-12 years had a real positive effect on you that you look back and said, you know, really did right by me and just want to say thank you and, and appreciate yeah, I had a ton of good teachers over the years. The one that I always think about is uh, I had a history teacher in high school, Mr. Boston, and he was also who convinced me to run cross country. I had been yeah. playing basketball throughout uh, throughout high school, and he kind of convinced me of adding cross country as something that could help me cross train. And I just I enjoyed that experience so much. The, the community aspect, you know, doing the, you know, the summer runs, we go up to the mountains and do a camp and do running. And I just, it was an experience I never would have thought of. I just had negative connotations of running. I'm like, yeah, this this stinks. And he made it such this enjoyable experience. And, you know, a lot of teachers, they're motivational, but to have someone twist your arm and he stayed on me, he's like, Peter, you would like cross country. You should do it. And, uh, ended up, you know, having a, a really good relationship with him. And I still keep in contact with him a little bit here and there. So yeah, I would say, uh, Mr. Boston, the man who, uh, convinced me that running could be fun. And his name was Mr. Boston. Was this in Massachusetts or no? No, I grew up in Colorado. Uh, Colorado. He's still like, you know, he, he's older now, but he's an elite level runner and he would go run the, uh, the Boston marathon. But yeah, just a coincidence that his last name is uh, the same as the city I now live in.
Very funny. Well, you're the DFS guru, man. You're on fire, doing a great job here. So I want to go position by position, looking for a sneaky play, looking for a a low-owned sort of cheap play here that you think in the range of outcomes could really pop. We'll go through them each one. Let's start with quarterback. Who are you looking at this week? Yeah, so the the first gross name that everyone is talking about that just really cheap is Kyle Allen is now oh. he's at 4100 which I'm I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I uh it is absurdly cheap. I will say if you are going to go cheap though at quarterback, I think you play Daniel Jones at 5400. Yes. That's in a a different stratosphere of pricing than some of these other guys. I mean, there's good options, right? Like Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, all these guys, but they're priced upper sevens. So Daniel Jones at 5,400 is meaningful savings for the rest of your lineup. And the Cowboys just get absolutely gashed by everyone. They gave, you know, Baker Mayfield just a a great day last week. Hell, Jarvis Landry is throwing for touchdowns on them. So Mm -hmm. Daniel Jones to me, and he has exciting weapons. We like Darius Slayton. We like Evan Ingram. Uh, I think you can definitely play Daniel Jones this week. That is such a great call. I recorded a clip for Rotoviz Overtime with Colin Kelly and Sean last week. And I said, guys, it's time to buy the Giants players. They're going to play the Rams, which they did on Sunday. They're not going to do well. Jalen Ramsey's going to cover Slayton and shut him down for the most part. This is the opportunity. I agree. I don't like that Jason Garrett came out today on Twitter saying, you know, we have to figure out what we do well. Uh, yeah, I mean, at some point, Jason, it would be good for you to do that. But I think that's a great call. I could see him. Remember, Pete, last year, he was the overall quarterback one and quarterback two he had some big performances right oh yeah he did he's he fits that kind of profile of where people get frustrated with him because he can be erratic or have turnovers but he also has that ceiling like one way i measure ceiling is like yeah mitch trubisky might suck but he has been in millie maker winning lineups daniel jones has been in millie maker winning lineups because they can go off for a 45 point game they do have that skill set All right, what about the backfield here? Running back, interesting week, I think, because a lot of the top guys are not on the main slate on Sunday. Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara. So where are you going here at running back for like a, a flyer? Yeah, there aren't like a ton of just smash guys stepping up into to interesting spots. I mean, I'll give a couple names. I think Antonio Gibson, we mentioned him earlier. We see his role continuing to expand and they're giving him high value touches in the red zone as well. It's it's weird. He's actually losing like you would have assumed he was losing more work to uh, Peyton Barber than J.D. Mm-hmm. McKissick, but he's actually losing a lot more passing work to J.D. McKissick than he is rushing work to Barber at this point, which is just kind of an oddity to me. So I think he's interesting. Also, Miles Gaskin is still only 4,800. I yep. think people... I, I get it because I every week I'm like, is this the week that they give Jordan Howard or Breida more work? It just, you know, Gaskin really kind of came out of nowhere. That said, like the underlying metrics and his usage are pointing still to bell cow level usage. And so Miles Gaskin at 4,800, I know it's San Francisco, whatever, but the volume and the touches and the floor there because he's getting passing work is still really appealing to me. Yeah, his usage is great. If they're close, they're using him. And if it's a blowout, he's going to get a lot of receptions. That's an excellent call. Let's go to wide out, wide receiver. Who do you like? All right, let's see here. I am looking, pulling up my DFS spreadsheet where I make some of my notes here. I think if we are going to play Daniel Jones, we mentioned Darius Slayton. He's way too cheap at 4,800. Mm-hmm. You know, he hasn't had that boom week since week one where he really went off. But again, similar to a Michael Gallup type guy, we know he has the skill set and the ceiling to go off. So I love him at 4,800. And, you know, if you want to get really gross, uh, 
if you want to really punt down here, I think you can play Demir Bird at three. Yep. And he was getting a lot of work. He's uh, in the air yards by low model. I think he opened up that first drive with getting like two or three of the first catches for the Patriots against the Chiefs. So at 3,000, they're uh, they're in a good spot here. Home versus Denver, 10-point favorite. Should put up some points. So if you really want a dumpster dive, I will give permission with Demir Bird. Now, Pete, this is blasphemy because I know you're a hand builder type of guy with the DFS lineups, but in the optimizer that I use at Fantasy Labs, I'm putting things together now. Demir Bird is popping because you want those low percentage wide receivers, right? That pop that can get you there with one catch. So yeah, I, I like Bird, but you're a hand build guy, right? Brick and mortar. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, for my main slate lineups that I make uh, on Sundays, I'm I'm pretty much exclusively playing. I do a five max, do some three max, some single entry. But yeah, I'm normally not uh, not making more than five hand built lineups. Amazing. And tight end, who do you got here? Yeah, the tight end landscape is so gross. We talked. Oh, we mentioned gross. Troutman earlier, coming off the zero. <laughs> I mean, similar to- and and Pete, that that was in your lineup that hit, right? You guys had trauma, but you still hit, right? I think so. And that's what I was just gonna say about this stuff of like tight end in defense, especially. There's so much volatility with the outcomes of these guys that it makes sense to pay down. Um, and yeah, you can live at 2,500, which we don't have that this week for anyone, but Troutman at 2,500, it just doesn't hurt you if you're able to jam in all of these other stuff. Obviously you don't want to take a zero. You know, when I won the, the spy or sorry, I got third in that spy, I had the KJ Hamler at 3000 and he only got me six or seven points, but he allowed me to get on a different build and get in a bunch of other studs who went off. So Sometimes, you know, taking these flyers in in good spots um, can really be worth it. So I would say for tight end this week, if I am going to go down, I mean, this one is gross, but everyone has been so burned by Chris Herndon, but at 3,200 against the Cardinals and we're getting a quarterback change. I mean, I know no one's getting excited about Flacco, but the whole thing with Herndon is he hasn't been getting utilized. So maybe a quarterback change here actually helps out a little bit. And again, I don't mind punting it off at 3,200 here. So I don't mind going to Herndon in a game against the Cardinals that should have a decent amount of points. That is a superior point. That is a play no one's going to go for. Herndon's dropping balls left and right in the game last week. But with the new quarterback change, I also like Jamison Crowder, by the way. People yeah. will not be on him as all, at all. But, I mean, where do you think Flacco's going with the ball? Herndon and Crowder, I think, are, are very good plays. For sure. And, I mean, he's, you know, his targets, you know, he's gone seven, four, five, three, you know, the three targets. That that hurts uh, for sure. But, again, if at this price, if you can get five targets from him and, and one of them's in the red zone, I mean, that, that's about all you can ask for from tight end. Uh, I do think just another name, Hunter Henry seems a little mm-hmm. to me at 4,300. He has had a nice rapport with Justin Herbert, who's really unlocked him and Keenan Allen, he basically just had the one dud week against the Bucks last week where he only had three targets, but he had eight, eight, and seven targets the week before that. So I think his price is kind of masking his true role in this offense. If you don't want to go down to Herndon. Let's hit a little redraft lightning round. Give me the better PPR play for this week. Better wide receiver two matchup, Christian Kirk at the Jets or Golden Tate in a high scoring game in Dallas? Yeah, I'm going to go... I, I, this is another, it's similar to the Nikhil Harry thing where I have such a bias. I mean, I just was drafting Christian Kirk on every team, every Mm -hmm. format trading for him in dynasty. So 
not only do I think Christian Kirk is the better better guy this week, I need him to be. We just need we need Kyler to start throwing downfield more. I mean, it it is as Rich Rebar says, the horizontal raid. They gotta open it up because Kirk can win downfield. Yeah, and over the middle, he's having trouble hitting the middle of the field as well. Agree. How about Justin Jefferson at Seattle or Jarvis Landry against Indianapolis? I, I think it has to be Justin Jefferson. I mean, mm-hmm. and Seattle has been finding themselves in these shootout games. Their secondary isn't good. But, you know, my only concerns with Justin Jefferson are like, okay, we saw Diggs as the number two in a run heavy offense, and they were playing so slow and running the ball so much that his production was erratic. But now Minnesota is finding themselves in a ton of these shootouts and Justin Jefferson can ball, man. Like he is really good. And I love the spot here versus Seattle. So I think Landry, you know, similar to Boyd and those other guys, we mentioned Crowder, nice volume probably on tap, but man, give me that tantalizing Justin Jefferson upside. Uh, That Minnesota game, very live. They were nine point underdogs. Now it's seven against Seattle. You know, people are just going to assume that Seattle is going to move forward, but Minnesota is playing a lot better. And last week they started to unleash the pass. They realized that teams were stuffing the run against them. So yeah, Jefferson is in in a prime spot. Two QB leagues, Justin Herbert at the Saints on Monday Night Football. He looked great against Tampa Bay, especially on the deep ball. Or Joe Burrow, he's had a better year, but he's playing at the Ravens. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i pretty excited about Justin Herbert. I always like looking at uh, John Paulson's rankings at 4 for 4. He has them very close. He gives it a slight nod to Burrow, but I, uh, I think I'm going Herbert. This is an I know better play, and I just think the matchup versus New Orleans is a little bit better. And now that they don't have Eckler, maybe they air it out a little more, not as much on the ground here, especially if Saints can can push the tempo in the Superdome. And yeah, we've seen the Ravens defense be really tough and Burrow's an exciting talent, but this is still a spot he could really struggle in. I mean, I believe they're 13 point underdogs. That yep. game, I feel like has a better chance of just getting gross and ugly for the Bengals than the Chargers on the road in New Orleans. And last one, tight end play. You talked about him a second ago. Hunter Henry at the Saints on Monday night or Darren Waller in another game that has a big spread at Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, I I do love uh, Henry. I just mentioned that. But man, Waller has been such a volume beast. You know, he's coming off of the the nine reception game against Buffalo. And I actually think um, it's fine that Ruggs is back. I think it's overall good for the offense. But Tight end is so gross, and and Waller is one of those few guys up there with the Kittle and the Kelseys that we can reasonably project, you know, six or seven targets, and that's that's hard to do. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean Waller there. Paffitz Morris came on, did a cut for the overtime road of his show this week, and his sort of prediction that could come true sort of the out there prediction was that he thinks Darren Waller could break Zach Ertz's record for tight end receptions he has 29 here through four weeks but he's get you're right he's getting so much volume he could have a huge second half and against the Chiefs they're gonna have to pass uh, so I, I think that's a really really fair one yeah we were talking about Zach Ertz earlier and I'm like man I wish in my FF do you think do you think you could trade Zach Ertz for Darren Waller I don't even think you could get that deal done right now right you, maybe you could do it for someone who just believes in Ertz. I mean, if Goddard was ruled out rest of the year, maybe, because yeah. I, they, they said, okay, maybe you can argue. And it would be this would be the week to do it because you'd say, listen, I know they have a tough matchup, but they did beat San Francisco. They're starting to play better. Maybe someone could buy in. But Waller was question. People were unsure because he only had a good year last year, but it's moved forward. And Ruggs is out. Edwards is out. He is getting that volume. For sure. I love Memento 7, all these movies that have a twist on them that keep me up late at night. 
what's your favorite movie here with a surprise ending? Yeah, you know, the the ones you mentioned are great. Uh, one that just has stayed with me uh, more recently in the past few years is Get Out. I, I think Get Ooh. Out just has this perfect slow reveal where you are slowly piecing together what's happening until it just hits you over the head uh, towards the end. And I think it's just brilliantly paced. And there's obviously all the different layers with the with the metaphors going on. But man, that uh, that movie has such a fun surprise ending. Uh, excellent. Excellent call. I want you to stay with the crystal ball here. Who's going to be the hot week six waiver wire pickup? Who's a guy that is low owned right now that's not on anyone's radar that you said, you know what, I think he's coming here and maybe he's going to be a guy who people are going to want to pick up next week. Yeah, I. this is a guy that I just started thinking about more seriously in the past 24 hours because he wasn't really getting that much attention in, in waiver wire reports and in write-ups and that's Keyshawn Vaughn. I mean, I think that he is going to be very expensive next week. He plays tonight and I think the door is just open enough for him to really start to carve out a role. We have Fournette who is doubtful. It doesn't seem like he's going to play. Kenyon Barner got busted for PEDs and LaShawn McCoy who has been stealing a lot of the, passing down work is out as well. And Ronald Jones looked great on the ground last week. He ran really well, 111 yards on 20 carries, but he had a couple really brutal drops in the passing game. Just really simple checkdowns. And then you see Keyshawn Vaughn come in the game. He catches a touchdown pass. And again, this is a rookie they drafted in the third round. So this is still an ambiguous backfield to me. We've seen it, right? Like they're messing around with McCoy. They bring in Fournette. You know, they don't seem fully sold on Rojo as a bell cow. To me, Vaughn has the chance here to really carve out a big role. And the thing that's been a bummer about Rojo is he keeps getting these cracks and he doesn't solidify himself as the lead dog. And so if Vaughn comes in here and has a game where he looks really good, just from pure momentum and inertia, he could really hold this backfield down. So if Vaughn is still available in your leagues, I would grab him uh, before the game tonight. I don't know when this is going to release, though. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's going to be out Friday morning. So I'm going to bank on you being prophetic here that you just called that because I agree. Bruce Arians has done this before. Remember, he had Chris Johnson, he had Andre Ellington, and then all of a sudden, David Johnson pops as a great second half of the year. So it's Rojo, and I was on the Rojo train. They bring in Fournette. Everybody's jumping on the Fournette train, and now all of a sudden, Keyshawn Vaughn has a couple games where he hits some receptions. He could absolutely slide in. I I, I think that could be a big one. I don't see Rojo have a big game tonight against that Bears defense. So I think they're going to have to do some things. And those dro- Rojo drops, they are they're heartbreaking, Pete, really. They are. And the thing is, is like, I don't even think like the Vaughn love is even a huge knock on Rojo. Like I, I was talking with Pat Carade, who's, you know, the biggest Rojo truther on the planet. And if this is a two-man backfield with just Rojo leading the 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 team in rushes and, and Keyshawn working in, in the past game, these two can definitely both have fantasy value in this offense. It's when you add in the LaShawn McCoy taking passing snaps or Leonard Fournette getting some high leverage touches, that's when it gets super gross. But on a night like this where both of them are going to hold down the backfield, I think they both can have good days. Oh man, this has been incredible. Uh, just flying by. I got one more question, then I'll get you out of here. 
I want to know who's the cut the cord player, the guy who is drafted early round one, round two, that people just cannot bring themselves to let go yet. But you're saying, you know what? It's going to get worse before it gets any better. And it may be time to sell them low instead of buy low, sell high. Maybe it's time to sell low because it's not going to get any better. I'm curious, who is the top guy who was drafted in the early rounds that you're saying, listen, if you can get out from under him, do it now. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was talking about my age bias uh, in, in some of the guys. I don't think Hilton t- quite qualifies because he wasn't super early round. Let's say Todd Gurley because yeah. he could sell that two touchdown game, but he is not catching passes. This offense isn't as good as we thought. I, I do think he's kind of just dusted as a talent, but he can always fall into the end zone a couple times if uh, if the setup is right. But yeah, I would be trying to sell Todd Gurley if I can, and I think now is the time to do it coming after the two-touchdown game. That's uh, a great one. I've been writing about him as well. I, I agree. Listen, he's got the volume, but it's not going the right way, and Brian Hill could get a shot at that job pretty soon. Folks, Peter Overzet, amazing guy, great fantasy mind, entertaining, hilarious, a must-follow on Twitter. He's going to give you great insight, and he's going to make you laugh along the way. At Peter Overzet, you have him, Roto Grinders, Swellcast, Tilt Space. He's all over the place, never sleeps. It doesn't have breakfast, evidently, as you heard. So, Pete, thanks so much, man, for joining us. Great job, as always, having back here at RotoViz, and keep killing it, doing an awesome job. Thanks, Mike. This was a blast. Fridays are always for the mailbag. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and at Randall Rant. Make sure you tell a friend and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in. 'The wait is finally over folks. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win the season. From the game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Go and head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.